0: Welcome, you're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at ICCMemphis.com. Thanks again for joining
1: us. Well, good morning, church family. It's great to see you. My name is Barrett Bowden, lead pastor at ICC, and I welcome you this morning, whether you're part of our church family or whether you're visiting today. We do love you. We're so grateful for you, value you very much, and we're really, really glad that you're here. If you've got your Bible, I would love for you to get open to the Old Testament this morning. We're going back to the Song of Solomon as we continue our series, Living loved and our journey through the book of the song of solomon in the old testament we just came off of easter week and it was wonderful but i know we've been away from song of solomon for a little bit so this morning as i get into today's message which is going to begin in chapter 4 verse 8 if you're turning in your bible But before we get into today's message, I wanna give you a brief reminder of where we've been in this book and what this book is ultimately all about. What I would ask you to do is consider taking out something to make notes with. Maybe you're a drawer. I know our daughter Caroline, not just because she's seven, but because she is visually oriented and very creatively gifted. Uh, She draws pictures during my sermon. Some of y'all be very interested to see some of the pictures that come out. It's a very humbling moment for me. As a pastor, I'm like, really? That's what I preached about, that's interesting. Um, Some of you are more logical thinkers or you're pretty uh, avid note takers and you may uh, write down everything you see on the screen, plus some more, Um, but whatever way you want to engage this morning, I would encourage you and ask you to be attentive and engaged because this morning, God's word is designed to feed your soul and not just for this moment, but for this week and for weeks and years for your life ahead. This word can continue to feed your soul. And also, we are a congregation that loves making disciples. And I've just found it incredibly helpful to always be attentive and engaged in the word, not only so that I can continue to feed on the word, um, but also so that later I can have opportunity to turn around and take what's been invested and entrusted to me and help somebody else understand it too. So I hope this morning in some way you will be engaged with us and maybe think about writing some notes. The beautiful theme of the Song of Solomon is this. Y'all say it with me. Jesus, lover of my soul. That's the theme of this book. Now at surface level we know that the Song of Solomon highlights the joy of finding intimacy in the relationship of marriage. The book is about a man and a woman who fall in love The man pursues the woman. We'll talk more about this in a second. And it's this very romantic story that culminates in marriage, which will be our focus of today. Um, And so at surface level, we know the book is profitable for us and it's understandable to us in its context of human relationship of love and specifically the human relationship and institution of marriage. And how it is possible, it's not the only way to find it, but how it is possible to f- experience and God's desire and design in marriage is for it to be such a joy-filled and intimate experience between a husband and a wife. But ultimately, we know that's not all that's going on in this book, right? Ultimately, if we dig deeper in the book, what we realize is that this is about something more than just life lessons on how to live and love with other people how to live in marriage in a healthy way. We can find lessons there, but it's something so much more than that. In fact, what we've been discovering as we're going through the book is it's really about the joy of finding love and intimacy and relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul. Because in the scripture, if you didn't hear this message, I'm going to give you a brief review and then ask you to go back and listen to the very first message of this series. But in the scripture, we find again and again that Jesus is portrayed in the scripture as a lover. One of the images that the Bible gives us of understanding who Jesus is and his role in our life, his heart for us is to understand him as a bridegroom, to understand him as a husband, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus is pictured as a great lover, a lover, a bridegroom, a husband, a faithful one, a committed one, a self-sacrificial one, a servant-hearted one, a covenant-keeper one, a bridegroom, a lover of who Over and over in the scripture, the Bible speaks of us as being the one upon whom Jesus sets his affection. He loves you. He loves us. Over and over in the Bible, we are called the beloved of God. The ones who have been chosen by God for him to commit himself to us. We are the bride that he loves and gave himself up for. We are the wife of God that he is faithful to, committed to, sacrificial for, servant-hearted unto, a covenant keeper for. He is our lover, we are his loved. He is our bridegroom, we are the bride. He is our husband, we are the wife. Y'all remember this? This is one of the dominant themes of Scripture. So the marital imagery that's used of Jesus and us Here's what it's meant to do, all right? Just gonna talk plainly to you if you're new this morning and you go, that is a lot of pastor talk. It's a lot of biblical language. It's all true, it's all important, but it's, it's meant to be practical, okay? One of the points of this book is to show you in a very concrete way that our God the true and living God, the only eternal God, the holy and wonderful and perfect God, the God who made you, who created you in his image, who desires relationship with you. He is a God of love. 1 John 4 proclaims very simply, God is love. To know God is to know love. It is essential to who he is. He has always been and forever will be a God who is defined by his love. God wants you to know that he is love and that he loves you. And he wants you to know in concrete ways, not just abstract ways, but in very concrete ways, how much he loves you how much he moves toward you, how much he pursues you with his passion, how committed he is to you, how much he's given for you. And he wants you to understand what a relationship is like. Living loved by him. That's why I called it what I did, living loved. Because ultimately this book is to help us understand what it's like to live our lives loved by the all-loving God. Ultimately, this book is about Jesus and you, and ultimately, as we've gone through this book, the point is for you to hear God's heart again and again and again. I love you like this. I love you like this. I love you like this. And i've been praying we've been praying again and again god would you help us would you open our eyes to understand who you are and how to live in light of who you are help us understand your love and to know what it's like to live loved by you and to love you with the whole of our lives so this beautiful theme right jesus lover of our soul we're going to continue this morning to look at it in the song of solomon I've told you uh, how deeply impacted I've been through this book and ministering out of my own story and deeply impacted I've been by the book written by a pastor in the UK, Julian Hardiman, who I'm so grateful for his book, Jesus Lover of My Soul, and his personal connectiveness with our church even in this season to pray for us, which he is actively doing, and to entrust to us resources that have helped us journey through this. This morning, we're gonna be looking at a passage in Song of Solomon, chapter four, starting in verse eight. And that's where I ask you to turn, and hopefully you're already there, and we can just begin reading the text together. We're gonna be looking at chapter four, verse eight through chapter five, verse one. If you're looking for a topic of today or a title for today's sermon, because I know all of you now are taking notes, the title is, Let's Talk About Intimacy. Let's talk about intimacy. I'm going to read from the Word of God starting in verse 8. And I read from the ESV. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions and the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choices fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O North Wind, and come, O South Wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. This is God's word. This morning, we're going to be talking about intimacy. All right? Can y'all say that with me? intimacy all right there's a reason i'm asking you to say it with me we'll talk about it in a second some of y'all are like is he going to ask us just to say everything that's on the screen no but there's a couple of key things that i do want you to really get in a personal way today so we've gotten to the point in the story all right if you've been tracking with us then you know where we are kind of in the story guy meets a girl he falls in love with her he sets his affection on her He moves toward her. She's overcome, even though he desires her with insecurity, wondering, can it be? I don't know if you know me. I don't know that you understand. I'm like, not to, like, I don't have it all together. I, I don't see myself as, like, lovable. He goes, wait, wait, no, you're lovely because I love you. I have set my love upon you. And he moves toward her with great love, with great affection, with great desire for her inviting her into relationship with him. He himself saying, oh, I enjoy relationship with you. They move to the point of commitment again and again and again. We've seen his pursuit of her. He takes the first move. He moves again and again and again to be where she is to get her for himself. She continues to respond to his great love. We see he put a ring on it. Y'all remember that? He's basically saying, there's coming a day that we're gonna make covenant together. You're gonna see, I am yours and you are mine. And they moved toward that day together. On the last sermon from the series, we looked at it on Palm Sunday and we talked about the arrival of the bridegroom. Do y'all remember? End of chapter three, into the start of chapter four. And we talked about how the bride was basically giddy with excitement because her bridesmaids are going look he's coming they didn't know exactly when he was going to arrive but what they discovered is he's here he's here and this great moment of anticipation is moving toward its moment well today we'll see now it's time time for what time for the marriage Time for union and time for consummation. This moment of anticipation is going to become a moment like at a ceremony when you guys know when the bride and groom stand together and they actually make covenant with one another. This moment of consecration before the Lord and one another that leads into a moment of consummation. Otherwise, other words... I'm getting all tripped up because it's kind of awkward this morning because I have to say sex. <laughs> and that's not something I particularly uh, plan to say very often in front of you as a pastor. But this, one of the things this book helps us to do is bring sexuality into the light of God. And into conversation among us as believers because I think far too often in church life, Sexuality is something that is often in the the back room, it's often suppressed, it's often in the secret places, and I believe because of that, and it's not brought into the light, it often leaves a lot of room for questions, confusion, deviation, brokenness, frustration, and a sense that this is all something bad. That we've got to keep to ourselves rather than something good that can be brought to the light discussed in light of who God is and how he's designed all things so I've got to talk about sex but I don't want to shy away from talking about it in the fullness of what it is today because it is largely going to be a sermon that is based in a text that's about a night of sexual intimacy between a man and a woman Are is everybody okay with this if you're not That's still what I'm going to do, because that is what the scripture speaks. So what we're talking about, you see, I didn't put the word sex here on the screen. I put consummation. But what we're talking about here is the union, the covenant making, and then the physical sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. But there's something going on that's deeper than just the physicality of that moment. It is a moment of complete union, of not just mind, heart, but also of body between these two who love one another. And what we're seeing here before our eyes in the text today is the moment of culmination of all that so far has been led up to. This moment of union and consummation, it's time here, two other words that we could give to this because there is a deeper meaning to this, we'll get to it in a little bit, but let me give you two other words that you can write down in your notes. It's time for full and felt commitment and intimacy. That's two other words that mean basically the same thing as what I just said. Union and consummation, commitment and intimacy. And here in this text, At this moment in the story, while it's not completely linear in all of its journey, this book of Song of Solomon, this is the moment of the marriage and the wedding night, all right? So, what I want to do is walk through the passage together, because you didn't come this morning to hear lessons from Pastor Barrett on sex life. You came to hear the word of God. And my goal, again and again, and any pastor of this church, any of our elders, our goal is just to walk through the Word together so that you're not depending on me and my stories or my lessons, but that you're feasting on the Word of God. So what I want you to do is start in verse 8. We're just going to walk through this expositionally together. In verse 8, what we hear is the first movement of this, this basic this night, this, this moment of marriage and consummation. And it's an invitation from the lover. Come, it's time, come and experience my love. If you look at verse eight, as soon as he arrives, the lover calls out to his love, come with me, he says, from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me. The invitation from the lover, if you've got something to write with, the way I'd summarize it is come and experience my love. He's moving from just going, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. Let me, let me make promises to you to going, no, no, no. Let me show you. Like this is something more than just words that I'm offering. I'm not offering myself to you and I'm inviting you to not just come and hear but come and experience. Come with me. This is about a new life that's defined not by a piece of paper that we signed down at the courthouse or a ring that's jewelry on your finger. What I'm inviting you to is a new life You're gonna leave behind what is past and you're gonna begin something new and this life is gonna be defined by you and me together forever. Come with me, the lover says to the one who he loves. Come with me. It's time to move beyond talk and word. It's time to move beyond the engagement ring come with me, come with me, come experience my love. He moves on in verse 9 from an invitation to a declaration, verses 9 through 11, and his declaration is basically this, I want to show you just how much I love you. So his invitation, I want you to come with me for an experience, an experience of love. And his declaration is when you get to me, if you respond to this invitation, what you're gonna find is I love you so, 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 so much. Listen, not to my words of summary, but to the scripture itself. Verse nine. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride, You have captivated my heart. Okay. This, guys, unlike the last sermon where we were talking about your teeth are like two sheep that are twins. Your hair looked like goat hair. Okay. Those were not good pickup lines or Valentine's Day cards kind of thing. This one, however, highly recommend. (laughs) You have captivated my heart. Any women in the room, cool if your guy writes a card and it leads off with that, okay. What I'm saying is, wow, there's something swoony about this language. This is not just, I love you, happy Valentine's Day. This is, girl, you everything to me. I love you so, so much, my whole heart is beating boom, boom 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 it's about to pop out of my chest you have so you i love you so much girl you have no idea how much i love you this is the guy talking to his girl come with me is the invitation I want you to experience my love but in case you forgot i just want you to know again like you are beautiful to me. I love you with every ounce of my heart. You have captivated my heart. You have my whole heart, baby. You have my whole heart. I love you so, so, so much. In case you got, forgot it the first time, let's just write a card and let's say it twice over. You captivated my heart, baby. Y'all know the songs nowadays, these pop songs, they just sing the same thing over and over and you're like, for crying out loud. Can we move on to something different? But apparently they want you to know, you know? He wants her to know, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Verse 10. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine? I don't know best glass of wine you've ever drank or the best steak you've ever had or the best view you've ever experienced or the best of the best or whatever it is you've enjoyed he's going there's 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 no other love in my life that compares to the love i have for you you've captivated my heart you are beautiful i love you i've set my affection upon you you're lovely you remember from a previous text you're lovely because i love you there's nothing you can do about it. How much better is your love than wine, the fragrance of your oils than any spice? Do you hear? And he goes on in verse 11 to continue to describe. Listen, friends, he's declaring. This is what we have, okay? Hope you've written the note. A declaration of the lover. And here's what he's declaring. I want to show you just how much I love you. So if you've got anything else in your head, if you're, 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 you're there about to walk down the aisle to commit to me, you're considering this choice of whether you're gonna give yourself to me fully and completely, and you might be questioning, what is he in this for? What, what is really behind this? Can I really trust this one I'm about to open up everything to, be completely Committed to and one with forever. And he's going, Oh, baby, listen to my heart. I'm inviting you to come down that aisle, but I am telling you right now, I love you. I love you. I love you. I need you to know just how much I love you. The only thing that's motivating me is the sincerity of my heart at this moment. I love you. Every groom that I ever stand with, I mean, it's pretty much without fail. I get the opportunity at weddings that I get a chance to officiate to stand up there with the groom and almost everybody in the room, almost everybody in the room, when you say, when I do this, y'all know what I'm talking about, the moment of the wedding? And you just, Or when the music starts playing and the mom pops up out of pride, you know what I'm talking about? What does everybody in the room do? Let's imagine the bride is back here at the door and I go like this. What are you going to do? You're going to look right back there, right? Oh, she's beautiful. What kind of dress did she... Oh, look at that dress. And we just look at her face and it's just radiant. I'm standing there at the front and one of my great joys is not watching the bride. I have made it a habit to watch the groom. And almost without fail, as I watch the groom standing there, something happens that even the manliest of them do not expect. A tear, sometimes it's very small, sometimes it's an ugly crack but a moment of being overwhelmed the sight of his bride. What is happening is not a forced moment where he chooses to cry, but rather a love moment where love so overwhelms the heart that as my father-in-law says, it just leaks out the eyes. A groom that is in love with the one who is making a choice he's saying come he's beckoning her come 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 with me but every true groom every good and noble groom every groom that reflects the image of god at that moment is overwhelmed with one thing it's not himself it's her <laughs> i can't believe I love her so much. It's a beautiful moment. And that's the heart. That's the declaration of the lover. I just want you to know how much I love you. Now, we move from this to the next movement, verses 12 to 16. Move from a declaration to a, a subtly heard desire. And here's the desire from the lover Will you choose? to allow me to love you in intimacy? Will you choose, will you choose to allow me to love you in intimacy? If you look at the text, verses 12 to 16, what we find here is at the point of commitment and consummation There's kind of an intermixing of language. The Bible deals very tastefully with this particular moment of covenant making and then that moment of intimacy, physical sexuality, that moment of what is described as consummation, very tasteful. And it's kind of interwoven together. So I want to walk through what we see here in the scripture as described as... The beloved's garden. Okay? So there's this picture of a garden. A garden that belongs to the beloved. But the invitation, the desire of the loved one is to come in to this garden. Now, there's a couple of characteristics of this garden that I want to show you. Let's look back at the text where we left off, verse 12. Now the reason I'm even describing it as the beloved's garden is because there in verse 12, what we see here is a garden locked is my sister. Okay? So the analogy is the scriptures. It's not mine. So what the lover is saying is he's looking at his loved one and he's looking at the choice that she's got to make and he's wooing her. Oh, come away with me. I love you so much. But he's looking into her and he's seeing in her something like a garden. Okay? Now, the first thing that we notice about this garden is that it's enclosed. All right? So we're gonna make some, we're gonna make a little bullet list of things that we notice about this woman's garden. So the first thing we notice is that it's enclosed. There in verse 12, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. He goes on in verse 12 and describes how she is a spring locked, a fountain sealed. So what we have here, one of the things I've got to point out, some of y'all may have gotten this already, some of you may not have. I am so thankful for the staff and leadership, both paid and support lay leadership of our church family and the many, many people in our church family that are just so creatively wired. Aren't you grateful that season to season you come in and there's things that are different about the stage or different about the slides, things that people like me have no idea how to do, but they reflect something. Have y'all noticed up on the stage in the season that there's greenery, that it looks a little bit like a secret or an ancient garden in ways? Have you noticed that on the slides, again and again, we've been using this imagery of old doors, of greenery, and even if you go back to the the title slide of Living Loved, do you notice the door here? Do you see the invitation? To this kind of garden of paradise in the door but do you notice what has been a consistent theme all throughout this series somebody on our staff team who won't name Mitchell do you remember who it was Mitchell um, came and asked me is that key that's been on the sides is that like part of what you're doing in the series I said you'll see <laughs> today's the day of grand reveal my friends this is not unintentional. What we find here in the scripture, speaking about the deepest part of the beloved, there's a description of a garden. A garden that is kept under lock and key. This kind of garden would have been very common in the ancient, modern, Near Eastern life, a walled garden a garden that would be enclosed, a garden that would be kept locked, a garden that would need a key to go inside. And the significance of this, I do believe, and for each of these characteristics of the garden, we're going to look at deeper significance, I believe, that we see this picture of privacy, this private place in a woman. Now, at surface value, we see this as, obviously, her, the depth of her, Soul and commitment to a man, right? And marriage, that is a, a very that's a thing reserved for one other. But we also see this as a picture of her sexuality. And this is the Bible's picture of sexual human flourishing. Something that needs protection, something that should be kept reserved for one other. Something that that offers pleasure at the highest order, and we'll look at that in a moment. But we see in the scripture a positive center of the scripture insisting that sexual love should be reserved for marriage. Helping us understand that this part of us, this commitment of one to another and that kind of totality, mind, heart, body, that kind of union with another, there's a good, beautiful design that God has given it to be manifested in a union with one other in marriage. Now, I know, I know, as I talk about sexuality today, I know because I'm a pastor and I look at your eyes and I know you. I know me. I know that as we talk about this, that we're dealing with sin and brokenness for choices of our own, We're also dealing with sin and brokenness of the choices of others. And the last thing that I want, or more importantly, that God would want for you to do today is to feel soiled, so to speak. So your garden so in so much upheaval, so to speak, that it's beyond repair. Because that is not the heart of God for you. And we'll be talking more about his restoration later in this message and also later in this series. So I just want you to know that nothing that I say as I showcase the good and holy design of God is meant to lead you into complete despair other than to move you toward Jesus who is the restorer of all who put their hope and trust in him. But what I am saying is that we need to have a conversation about the fact that in today's day, human sexuality is regarded as just something to be thrown around, so to speak. Something to just be given to this dating relationship and that dating relationship. Something that is often not regarded, we see it in movies and in shows and in literature as if it's just, it's just available for anyone and everyone all the time. And God says about you and your sexuality, that is not to be so. Your sexuality is like a garden that should be walled, that should be kept. Over and over, you've heard in this scripture up to this point, don't awaken love until it's so desired. Be careful not to go there with someone before it's the someone that you're gonna commit to in a lifelong covenant of marriage. There is a good design of the, that part of our soul and that part of our body being reserved for that kind of true covenant commitment in marriage. But not only is this garden enclosed, what we see here and locked, we see here that it's like a beautiful mini paradise, all right? I mean, my word, when you look at this garden, look at verse 13. This is crazy. Carol and I were just talking about right before the service started this morning, how yesterday we were out in our yards. Was anybody out in the yard yesterday planting plants? Okay, great. It was just Carol and I. (laughs) The rest of you have work to do, all right? I'll give you the name and number of some people you can call if you're out of time, but just mess with you. Man, it was fun yesterday getting out and just working in the backyard and pulling up weeds and planting some new flowers and putting out some new mulch, but my backyard, y'all can come over and see it, but I'm telling you, just take my word for it, it looks nothing like what's described right here. This is unbelievable. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruit, Hannah with nard. Verse 14, it goes on described, nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon and frankincense and myrrh and aloes and choice spices. Unbelievable, a a true, beautiful mini-paradise. Well, what I want you to see here is that in describing it as a mini-paradise, what he's describing here is this garden within his love is not only private, enclosed, waiting for the right time, the right person for it to be open to, but it's also special. Julian Hardiman in his exposition of Song of Solomon describes how this combination of plants would have been botanically impossible. This combination in verse 13 and 14. Literally impossible, unless there were heated greenhouses and controlled microclimates all over the garden because the plants that are described in this garden actually come from three continents. And they all experience different climates. So to have them in a single garden would have never worked. This is impossible. Here we find an idealized picture, he says, of a magic garden in which the most luscious fruits from all over the world are combined. Notice the emphasis on smell, the fragrances, the sweet incense. It's like a sensory overload. Who could possibly smell and taste all of these different things at once? In the ancient world, there were special gardens locked away, particularly beautiful, particularly so special that they were reserved for kings and royalty and wealthy people. They were places where pleasure, he says, just ran riot. And that is how the inside of the loved one is described. This is how her sexuality is described. Yes. These things need to be locked away, but oh my goodness, at the right time, at the right time, at the right moment, these things can be enjoyed. Friends, God doesn't want you to feel that sex has to be some secret pleasure. God says, I made sex and I made it to be wonderful. In its right time and in its right place, The gift of sex in the context of covenant marriage is a good gift. Pleasure can ooze forth a pleasure and joy, even sensory overload. This is a special garden. And third, we see a characteristic that it's not just enclosed, it's not just beautiful, meaning private and special, but third, it's well watered. It's well watered. If you look at the the scripture back at the verses, If you look down at verse 15, do y'all see it there? What does it say in verse 15 in your Bible? A garden fountain, a well of what? Living water, flowing streams from Lebanon. What is this talking about? I believe it's talking about capacity, capacity. In other words, the garden is well watered. It's, It's standing in a way for saying, look, The capacity for intimacy, the capacity for human intimacy is beyond that which you could understand the reaches of the soul, the depths of the opportunity to be touched, deeply touched by love and to love in such intimate ways. The capacity that God has given us to experience this in the right moment, in the right context of covenant marriage. The capacity is beyond that which you expect. This is why I cringe when I hear people saying later in marriage or later in life that they're just getting tired. They're getting tired of their, their love for one another's run out or they've just gotten tired of one another. They've gotten, they're just over it. They're over each other. Which often leads to either very fractured relationships in the same home or even ended relationships in divorce, separation. I believe the Bible's picture of, of godly love and marriage is a 10-year, a 20-year, a 30-year, a 40-year, a 50-year, a 60-year picture of commitment that is not like, oh, you know, been pinned up with them for this long. You know you can make jokes. I'm not trying to say you can't be fun people. But what I am saying is the picture is one of two people who genuinely keep feeling like this is the best decade yet. This is the best decade yet. It just keeps getting better. I'm exploring her more. I'm exploring him more. I'm learning more of him than I ever have. And my love for her, for him, is, it just keeps getting sweeter. Capacity for intimacy is beyond that. For, for true satisfaction and joy. a relationship is beyond that which any of us could imagine. A well-watered garden, a well of living water. So we put these three together, the beloved's garden, enclosed, private, beautiful, mini paradise, special, well-watered capacity. Here's what's happening. All right, let's go back to the moment He sees her at the door, so to speak. Come with me. Come with me. I I want you to come and experience my love. And I want you to know, the groom is saying to his bride, how much I love you. I just, I love you so much. The tears are welling up in his eyes. And as he looks at her, he knows, he knows what he's asking for. He knows that within her is this place meant to be kept under lock and key into the right moment for the right person in the right covenant relationship, he knows what he 's asking for he 's asking her to hand him the key and to let him in to let him into that place of commitment of union, that place of intimacy, that place of pleasure with her oneness with her and great joy in that, in that place where capacity for intimacy, we'd be explored and would continue to be explored from that time forth. He knows what he's asking, he's asking for her heart, he's asking for her soul, he's asking for her body, he's asking for her commitment for life. And he's saying, Come. He's inviting her to come. Listen to his words, verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden and let its spices flow. The desire from the lover, I've said, will you choose, (laughs) will you choose to allow me to love you in intimacy? That's the question that he's asking of her. Will you choose? Will you hand me the key? Will you let me love you in this way well now a choice has to be made at the altar in the bedroom for all of life what will she choose the choice is hers guys let me tell you something man to man We are never to use our role, our influence, our strength, our power in a woman's life in any way other than what she chooses. You are to be men of noble integrity, reflecting the heart and image and likeness of God and to recognize. The choice that a woman has because they are equal in value to us, made also in the image and likeness of God. Handle every woman in your life with great tenderness, with great care, with showing them utmost value and total respect. Can I get a witness, women? Men, can I get an agreement? That is our calling. It is a choice for hers to make. And any time that choice is violated, it is a gross abuse of our role in their life, of any power or privilege that we might have, and it needs repentance and active work toward restoration. My side is done, but I just need to say that. It's very, very important you understand. The choice is hardest to make. And look at verse 16. Here's what she says Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. She's saying, You've seen in me a garden. You recognize it's under lock key. You see the beauty. You see the capacity. And I'm telling you, now's the time. Yes. (laughs) Yes, as the woman steps foot, her first foot down the aisle, yes. And the next step, yes and yes. And I see it every time as I'm officiating weddings, they lock eyes, nobody cares. They don't, they're not looking at you standing on the side going, ooh, her dress. They're not looking at you. They're looking where they need to be looking, in the eyes of one another, and she's saying yes, the whole way down the aisle with her eyes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. She said it long before I asked her, do you? Yes, I do. She said it the whole way down, and she says it again. Yes, I do. Literally, with her words at the point of commitment and covenant, and she says it again, and again, and again, and he says it again, and again, and again, but her response is yes, You are the one who I love, and you can have all of me." She hands him the key. She opens up all that is available, all of the pleasure and joy that can be had, the capacity for intimacy, yes, a million times, yes, you can have all of me. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. Hey, guys, guess what? We're in the Song of Solomon. They just got married. Can I get a little bit of a celebration? This is a cool moment, all right? Yeah, like we're all, they're walking down the aisle now, you know, bebopping out, you know, that's the coolest moment of the wedding. And everybody's like, there's about to be a party. And we just heard the recessional music and they're walking out. Yes, yes. She said yes. It's amazing. Well, interestingly, The Bible and its wisdom and great discretion. There's a gap between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 1, and that gap is the wedding night, my friends. It's what we call sex. There is a moment, obviously, after the consecration and covenant, there is a moment of consummation. How do we know this? Because in verse 1 of chapter 5, it opens like this. It opens with an expressed delight of the lover. Here it is. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Here's what's going on. It's an expression of the delight of the lover. A full and felt expression and experience of covenant love. He's saying... He's continuing to dispel, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, I love you. I love you. You gave me the key and I came in. It was better than I could have imagined. What I'm experiencing with you is my joy. That's what he's saying. And then our passage for the day closes with the end of the verse. Because after we hear his voice, we hear the voice of a chorus of others, and they're encouraging the couple. It's almost like you ever been to a wedding reception, and the bride and groom all of a sudden get out in the middle of the room. Maybe it's not their first dance, maybe it's later in the night. And it's like, let's keep partying! And they just keep, you know, and the music's thumping, or there's jazz, or whatever it is, and they're just dancing, and the joy is unbridled. Y'all are looking at my dance moves. I am a. I'm a bad dancer, but I have fun. Um, Sometimes I just dance on the inside as I stand there, you know, doing my pastor thing at weddings and just look at everybody. But I'm dancing on the inside, I promise. But the thing is, there's there's this joy in the room. Everybody's like, let's keep going. Let's make most of this moment. This is your night. This is your love. This is your life. How great is this? Eat, the scripture says. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. He's not saying be drunk with wine, he's saying keep, keep experiencing this love. Here's the opportunistic exhortation and I hope you'll keep writing notes because this is the end. The opportunistic exhortation here is keep on dwelling in love with your true lover in intimacy. This is absolutely true for our human relationships of marriage. Look, don't, don't just stop dating your wife Don't stop losing the feeling of looking at her at the end of the aisle. Keep the tear in your eye. Don't stop dancing the night away. Listen, friends, this is a great gift of intimacy and joy and love. Kindle the fire of romance in your relationship. Keep it going. Let your marriage be hot with romance and passion and sexuality and desire and intimacy. Let it be hot. Keep it going. This is a good gift and grace gift of God. Keep on dwelling in love. Eat and drink, be drunk on love. And friends, the night of this wedding seems that it's just beginning. Well, that's the story. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it a great book? Now you go, but wait a second. Isn't this something about... You said this was about more than just the husband and the wife, right? Glad you asked. Because I close by reminding you what this is ultimately about. This book... It's about God looking at you and saying to you, this is how much I love you. This is about Jesus, the lover of our souls. And friends, there comes a time in relationship with God where a commitment has to be made. Time for the marriage union. Time for the consummation, time for commitment, time for intimacy. And the invitation of Jesus, the lover of your soul, is found there in verse eight. Come experience my love. There are some of us today, we have heard about The love of Jesus but we have not come to a place of true experience being loved by Jesus there's a world of difference between your cognitive understanding and your experiential reality to know in your head God loves me and to experience being loved by him completely different true Life with God begins, true relationship with God begins when you move from just hearing to actually experiencing. I'll never forget, I grew up in church, you guys. I grew up in church. I was here, not in this room. I was in a church, middle Georgia. I had heard a million times over the song, Jesus Loves Me song. I had heard the gospel proclaimed. I don't know how many sweet ladies in my children's Sunday school classes had told me God loved me. I don't know how many times my parents had shared the good news with me. I I don't know how many times I had been around that understanding. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget the seat I was sitting in, Carson Newman College over in East Tennessee, and yes, Tennessee has redemptive aspects even though I'm a Georgia boy. I was saved in Tennessee, Carson Newman College. Hearing what I had heard a million times before and suddenly it was as if I had heard it for the very first time. There's a hearing with the ears and then there's a hearing with the heart. And friends, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit speaks in a way that is beyond just what we hear with our ears. He speaks in a way that woos our heart. The very person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to us And there has to be a moment in time where we hear his voice in a real way, in a personal way. Say, come away with me. I want to love on you. I've created you for this. I have pursued you for this. I have told you about this. And now I'm asking, let me show you this in a real way. Let me love you. I love you, but... You've got to choose, come with me. And we hear his voice. We hear his declaration I want to show you my love from verses 9 to 11. I want to show you my love. <laughs> You've captivated my heart. I love you so much. You could never fully understand. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I love you, I love you, I love you. I have given up myself for you. I love you. You're in my heart. I want you. It's real. It's real. as we see him at the end of the aisle, so to speak, inviting us to come, we see, like in the garden, like on the cross, a tear from his eye, a welling up of his heart of love to the point of just overflowing out into everything, everything that he is, everything that he did, consumed by his love for you. Do you hear his voice? And he knows. He knows what it's going to require you to give. You know, his desire is for you to make a choice, and he's never going to violate your choice. You get to make a choice. Oh, I believe in God's sovereignty. Some of y'all are trying to pin me down. This is so often. People try to pin me down. Are you Reformed or are you a Yes. That makes no sense, does it? I believe in the full sovereignty of God, and I also believe in the full responsibility of man. God is sovereign and powerful and able. But he also gives you the opportunity and the required necessity to choose to invite him in. He knows what it requires for you to give. You are like a garden. There's a place that only God needs to dwell, a place of privacy, that place of surrender. Who will you give that to? You are so beautifully made. Oh, there's so much pleasure that is possible. And he knows what he's asking. We invite you to find and unleash all that pleasure directed toward him and him alone. To not go looking for it, lover to lover, boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend, job to job, house to house, retirement account to retirement account, stock to stock, toy to toy, car to car, degree to degree. Promotion to promotion, travel to vacation to travel to vacation. No, he's asking. He knows what he's asking. Your heart is made for him. You got to choose. Where are you going to give the depth of your soul? Where are you going to place your capacity for joy, your hope, your trust, your satisfaction, your pleasure, your future? Who are you going to give it to? And he knows what he's asking when he says, give it all to me. Give it all to me. I'm inviting you to give me the key. I stand at the door and knock, revelation, and I'm asking that you open it and let me come in. What is your response? That's what I don't know. What is your response? The response of the woman It's not just a one-time response, in case you're wondering, is this just a salvation message? Yes, it is a salvation message, but this is also a sanctification message because it's a response that is needed again and again and again and again in our life with God. The refrain of our life should be, let my beloved Jesus come to his garden. Let my beloved come come in, let him come in, let him come in, let him come in. I give you my heart, I give you my soul. Yes, you are my love, Jesus. And you can have all of me. That is saving faith. And that is sanctifying faith. And the delight of the life of faith that we live is a full and felt expression and experience of covenant love with Jesus that goes on and on and on. I love you, I love you. I, I feel your love, I feel your love. And it, it just, the, the capacity, like Jeremiah 31 speaks to, they will be like a well-watered garden, they will sorrow no more. That's the prophecy about what our life looks not, like now as believers, a well-watered garden, sorrowing no more, fully in love with Jesus. The experience, he loves me, and I love him, and I'm loved by him, and I, he is loved by me. The experience of love again and again and again. And the exhortation, friends, of this love. Keep on dwelling in love with your true lover and in intimacy. In other words, the party of the wedding. Let it go on and on and on, never tire. You found it, true love. You're experiencing a true joy. Keep on cultivating this love because it's the real deal. And never, ever, ever grow tired of feasting upon the love that He has for you. For His love is better than life. John Owen. One of his writings on this song describes the great joy of the believer in realizing that with Jesus, every day is our wedding day. Father, thank you for your great love. Oh, Father, I pray, I pray that by your Holy Spirit today that we have heard your voice, inviting us into an experience with you that is marked by your love. Come away with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. We hear your voice that you love us like you really love us. It's real. It's true. You stand, so to speak, at the end of the aisle, and you, you summon us. You invite us. Come. See my heart. See the overflowing nature of my life. See the work that I have done for you, the commitment that I have made to you. See the desire I have for you. Father, we we feel you pressing in into greater depths of our soul. Thank you for knowing us and for speaking of us as we really are, as you have made us. And Lord, we feel the choice that's before us. Will we give our whole hearts? Will we hand you the key? Will we open up our true self? Will we let you come in? Will we let ourselves be known? Will we unleash the fullness of capacity to the one who loves us most completely? Oh, Father, you have made the garden of our souls to be filled with your love, not the love of things, not the love of other people, as good as it may be, Not anything else this world would offer, especially sin, but Lord, with your love. So God, we're just asking now, would you come in? We're just inviting you now, come. Come and eat the fruit of your garden. In repentance and confession, in surrender and trust and hope and joy, we're yielding ourselves to you. Some of us, for the first time, most of us, for continued time, Lord, we're yielding the fullness of our capacity to you, and we're just saying, Lord, we want you to come in and love us. We love you so much. Help us, Lord, to be ever more drunk on love, the love that you have for us, and give great glory to you, the great lover of our souls. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, this is our time for response. There's prayer counselors coming forward. I'll be here as well. If you want to talk to somebody about, even now today, hearing the Spirit's voice for the first time like I did years ago at Carson Newman, I knew that God had awakened me to love for the first time. If you want to talk to somebody about that, come forward. If you want to pray with anyone, just come forward. If you want to pray by yourself here at the altar, just come forward. Let's don't let this moment go by without, in a real way, saying, Oh, Jesus, love me. I love you. So let's sing and respond. You can stand, you can sit, whatever you want to do. This is our time just to be with Him who loves us so much.
0: Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at ICCMemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.